This morning, I want to start with the same question that we started with last week. And this idea, the series intentional that we're going after. And as I ask the question, I'm not asking it to produce shame, right? I'm not producing it to uh, asking the question to produce guilt. Instead, I'm, I'm hoping and asking the question that it becomes a recentering for you. And the question is simply this on the screen. On a scale of 1 to 10, how intentionally are you living and going after Jesus in this season? So if you were here last week, you remember this? If you weren't, this is the question we ask. On a scale of 1 to 10, how intentionally are you living and going after Jesus? And again, the heartbeat's not to produce shame for you, right? Because last week, when, the last week when I, after I asked the question, I had people come up to me and talk to me about it. It was super fun. Like Some people were saying, my gosh, being completely honest with you, I sat down and, and I felt really, really good about where I was. I gave myself a, a high score. I recognized in my life that I was pursuing Jesus in, an, in a way, in an intentional way, like I honestly never have before in my life, and I gave myself like an eight or a nine, and I'm like, that is awesome, right? Other people came to me and said, oh my gosh, thank you for asking that, because I recognize in my life it's so easy to get distracted, and I kind of found myself distracted, but even in asking the question and being honest, it allowed me to kind of refocus and recenter, and I'm going to continually and more intentionally go after Jesus as we move forward, and that really is the heartbeat of a question like this, and it's not just a question that we ask ourselves this these two Sunday mornings, but I would love for you to kind of put that somewhere somewhere in your repertoire of questions that you're asking yourself in the context of your relationship with Jesus. How intentionally am I going after him? Because I don't know about you, but I know in my life and pursuit of Jesus and being intentional in my in my walk with Jesus. Like I think about my going to one camp or going to summer camps. Right? I go I go to summer camp every year and I would come back. So I'm gonna be super intentional with Jesus. I'm gonna start praying. I'm gonna start going to youth. I'm gonna da, 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 da. in like three to six months in I'm like, hey, right? Because the reality in my life, I'm sure the same for you, is distractions occur all the time. Little things and big things that kind of all of a sudden take our focus and put it over here and asking the question, it's just a gift of honesty to help us come alongside and recenter and refocus on what I believe is the greatest gift that we can give ourselves in Jesus, an intentional life of pursuit of relationship with Jesus. Now, when choosing to be intentional with Jesus... Or honestly being intentional with anything else in life, it almost always involves an action, an action on our part with a desired outcome, right? If I choose to be intentional to go after something or someone, it always requires an action, almost always requires an action on my part. And in my mind, I have a desired outcome of what I want from it. So as we talk about intentional pursuit of Jesus, we may be looking at it going, our goal is greater intimacy with him. Maybe we're looking at it saying, I, I just want to go after him to increase my ability to hear the voice of Jesus in my life or Maybe it's to say, I just simply want to experience and go after the fruit of God's spirit in my life. I want to experience his love and I want to experience his joy and I want to experience his peace in my life. And so as we go after him, there's an intention to say, I'm going after this and I put forth action and energy behind it. 
But I always have a desired outcome in mind of what I'm looking for in relationship with him. There's always some type of result or desired outcome that we have. Or if you think about it in the context of life, if anything else that you go after, that anything else that you're intentional of going after, this happens. Maybe I want to go after a better marriage. Maybe I want to go after closeness with my kids. Maybe I want to go after a better position at my company. I want to get better at the sport that I play. Maybe I want to go after a, a new hobby in this year. With every intentional step that we take, there are actions we undertake to get to the desired outcome. So intention. Listen, right here. Look at me. Intention. Intention leads us to actions that we give ourselves to and in our actions is because we want a desired outcome somewhere in the future. And that action, again, requires effort, energy. And, and here's the big piece, it costs us something almost every time. It costs us something. It costs us time. It costs us energy costs us comfort many times. Like I, in this year, if you, a lot of you know, I'm going after fly fishing this year, right? I bought all the gear that I have. I have a buddy of mine who helped me get it. It's like I'm going out with fly fishing just this past week with two of my good friends, right? And I'll be honest with you. I'm a really good bass fisherman. I'm a really, really bad fly fisherman. I was so, you, you know, how, the, how many people here, like, have competition somewhere near the top of your personality that you want to win and you will beat anybody you played everything, right? So one of the things about people with competition is they actually don't want to do, listen, they don't want to do things they're bad at because if they do it and they're bad, they get super frustrated because they think they should win everything. So I'm out there fly fishing. Oh my gosh. Right? Just super frustrated out there. Like I caught a fish and I got it in and then I did the rookie move, y'all. The fish was 25, literally true story, 25 inches long. It's not a fish story, right? The biggest fish of the day and I put it in and I grab it and I go to take a picture and as I do this, he squirms and falls out of my my hands away from that into the thing. I did not cuss, but I thought about it, right? It was like, ah, <laughs> that's right. It was just this peace. And so there's this thing and I'll go to be intentional with it. It requires effort and energy and man, it gets super frustrating along the way. <laughs> effort, energy, time, it costs me something. Now let's start with another example this morning. As we talk about an intentional desire to go after something with effort and energy that has a desired outcome. Let's say in this season you want to be intentional of going after higher education, right, a master's or maybe as a doctorate, right? Again, just, just a hypothetical. And so using our intentional words from last week, and here them, you can put them on the screen for me, these intentional words, like intentional, we talk about being on purpose and having a plan. We're choosing to do something. We're going to put forth effort. We're going to make a commitment, right? So we start talking about this higher learning. It means you intentionally make a commitment to pursue higher learning. You make it a primary purpose of your life for the next couple of years, and you choose to put forth great effort effort and going after it. Simply stated, you have an intention of pursuing at higher education. But here's the point, and this is where we begin to dive into the heartbeat of the morning. If you've ever gone after higher education, shoot, just to get your kindergarten degree, right? It's hard. 
There's all this learning and these books you have to read and words that you're like, why don't they use an easier word to describe this? This makes no sense to me. You're using big words to sound smart. You could use these words because everybody in the world uses them. But you decide to use these educated words, right? You could do better. This is super hard, super frustrating. It's just the nature of it, right? It gets super hard. It requires, and the moment you get into it, realize it requires more effort than you realize. After one month of intensive reading, you're looking at it going, two to three years seems like a super long time. You're not even sure if you're cut out for this, and you wish you could just snap your fingers and be at the end. And here's the point. You're not, listen, you're not sure if the waiting is worth the effort and the time. You're not sure if the waiting is worth the effort and the time. See, between intention, these are important words for the morning. You can write them there taking notes. Between intention and fruition is always a period of effort and waiting. It just is the reality of everything, including our relationship with Jesus. There's a level, I don't know about you, but my marriage goes a lot better My relationship with my kids goes a lot better if I'm putting forth effort and energy in pursuit of them. Not to make them love me more, but to honor the fact that I'm in relationship and they are my priority. You put your greatest effort and energy into the things you love and long for the most. And so in this moment, it requires effort the tension between excuse me, the tension between intention and fruition is a period of effort and of waiting. Now, the language I just used, right, and talking about this being hard, can be true about anything that we're intentional with. When I sit, listen, when a counselor sits down with a married couple in counseling, and they've got issues, they recognize, hey. Are you going to be intentional and put forth effort to invest into this time? Are you going to actually do the homework that you're given once you leave here, right? Or maybe it's in the context of a, of a person learning a new hobby. You've got to give yourself to, to effort and learning. That doesn't just, boom, and now you can do it. Maybe it's in the context of the sport that you're playing, and you want to go from this level to this level, and it requires effort and time and repetition and whatever that you're doing, right? From intention to fruition is a period of effort and of waiting, an effort and a waiting. And in that effort and waiting, man, sometimes it's just always difficult, Right? Sometimes, as in always, that period between here and here, it can just be difficult. Waiting is so hard for us. I think about my life. I think about a lot of you I've talked to over the last 15 years of doing vintage, right? Waiting is hard. We live in a world of instant gratification, the waiting between our time of choosing intention and fruition for so many of us, and specifically in pursuit of our relationship with Jesus, a deeper place with him, it can be discouraging at best and debilitating at worst. Does that sound too big? Like the idea is like it's just so much it almost feels debilitating to get from here 
to hear. It's just three steps, but it feels like it's impossible, like it's debilitating. One of the most memorable waiting stories in, in all of Scripture, I'm not going to dive into it this morning, but we, most of us know it. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah who have been promised the birth of the son, their son, Isaac, right? Through whom all the nations will submit and follow. Abraham and Sarah are told, old in their age, late in life, recognizing they're kind of looking at the end. They're looking at the, the, the end of their life more than the beginning of their life. And God says, I promise you that you're going to have a son. And so for 25 years, they waited 30, excuse me, 300 months. They waited 1,300 weeks or 9,125 days they waited. And as some of you know, because you've read the story, they didn't wait well sometimes, did they? And I think that's the point. Here's Abraham, the father, the father of Judaism, really the father of Christianity, who in his waiting got discouraged, it felt debilitating, and tried to take matters into his own hands. The idea for us is that waiting can be difficult. Some of the most encouraging words in Scripture around the word waiting, if you just like to go Google waiting or go to Bible Gateway and just search waiting, they're actually found in Lamentations chapter 3, looking at verses 24 through 26. You can follow with me on the screen as I read them. It says this, I say to myself, this is the lamenter. We were, either it's possibly Jeremiah, might not be somebody we don't know, but it's someone who's writing, possibly Jeremiah. It says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's just read that again. These fat sounds so encouraging. Like, oh my gosh, these words are they're just so profound. Whether well, it's Jeremiah or the somebody else, I mean he's got a way with words here, right? I will say to myself, The Lord is my portion, my inheritance. Therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. I want to spend some time this morning looking at some of these verses. And I want to build just a, a base theology for us around waiting. When I say theology, I mean like a, how we view God in light of this idea of waiting. This period between intention and fruition. This period of time of waiting and of effort and energy. So if you don't know and have not read Lamentations, it's, it's hard to read, right? Lamentations is a series of five poems. The whole intent is to look back and lament the pain and suffering experienced in waiting for God to set them free for captivity. For, for longer than 25 years, right, Israel was in captivity to Babylon. And so this writer is looking back and remembering. He's lamenting the pain and the suffering they went through. But remember, their pain and suffering was their fault. 
right? Their waiting was self-induced. They disobeyed and sinned, disobeyed and sinned, disobeyed and sinned. And so finally, God, as a, as a perfect father, said, I have to discipline you because if I don't, then you'll never return to me. So he disciplined them, took them out of their home, put them in captivity, here in Babylon, right? And in time brought them out. But in this period of time, it's the intention of God for them to be here. And their intention is to get out of captivity. And then over here is fruition, which is getting out of captivity. And it's a long period of time. And so what the writer, the lamenter is doing is he is writing and remembering and lamenting the pain and the suffering that they went through. Press pause. How many of you have ever gotten to a place of pain and suffering, in all honesty, was your fault? Right? Me, right? Thank you. (laughs) Right here. Right here. Two hands, foot two, right? All of us have. All of us have, right? We are no different than the great lamenter. We look back on these moments. And so in this, in in the first 20 verses of chapter 3, the writer is remembering in this poem and recalling all the hardships they faced in the time of their waiting. He recalls and remembers, just to name a few, verse 2, he remembers walking in darkness and the feeling that went along with this. On the screen is me right here. He's just feeling what it meant to walk in darkness, no vision. In verse 7, he remembers feeling weighed down by his chains. In verse 11, he remembers feeling left without anyone to help him. He felt Alone In verse 13, he remembers having this, this sensation of a pierced heart, just broken to the core of his being. Then in verse 19, he says, I remember my affliction. I remember my wandering. I remember the bitterness, and I remember the gall. Verse 20, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Lots of very expressive words, lots of feelings attached to his very clear memories of the moment, right? It's crazy, this language that he is using. I remember this. My soul is downcast. The first thing that I want us to do when talking about a theology of waiting And I think sometimes the best place to start in theology is this most simple place. It's the place we understand, and it's simply this. Waiting is hard. I know that sounds overly simple, but I'll be honest with you. If I can just start in a moment with intention going, okay, intention to fruition, this period is going to be hard. Effort and energy is hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a little overwhelming. Listen, the language people use in almost all times of waiting, whether big or small, sounds similar to the Israelites here, doesn't it? 
I don't care if you were waiting for your child to return to Jesus or you were sitting at lunch waiting for your meal. Oh, my gosh, God, can't you just get the food here a little bit faster, God? I'm starving, God. I can feel it to the very core of my being. Lord, get them here, right? We just feel in all of our seasons of waiting, whatever it may be. Listen, how many of you, listen, just the waiting from here to the beach for your eight-hour trip to vacation you've been waiting for for six months. God, can't you just translate me and get me there faster? I'm not sure I can do this. God, this is so hard. You think I'm joking, but you use words. We use words like this all the time. No matter what it is, the waiting that we're doing, let alone our waiting, our intentional waiting that we're doing, intentionality of going after and pursuing Jesus. God, we want you to move. Will you just do it? God, I feel so alone. I feel like you're not with me. God, I feel like you're not answering. God, I'm overwhelmed. God, whatever it may be. And so we sit in this, and the first part is God just goes, oh, I get it. It's so hard. It's just so hard. Jesus, listen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been waiting since the fall. For us to be fully, fully one with him again. It's a lot of waiting. Waiting from, well, see, waiting from intention to fruition will always be hard. You have to tell yourself that and remember, as I sit down to be intentional, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. This is not going to be easy. I'm going to get frustrated along the way. You have to be honest and count the costs going in. You have to recognize what you were going after and everything you were going after, believing for and pursuing, will not happen overnight. Between intention and fruition will always be a period of hardship, difficulty, and waiting. That's the first place to start. The second place that I want to name is this. Waiting requires hope. Waiting requires hope. Biblical hope is different than your worldly hope, right? Worldly hope's like, oh, my gosh, I hope for Christmas I get that brand new car. Oh, I'm just hoping. It's probably not going to happen, but I sure hope. Biblical hope is the assurance, the assurance that what we are waiting on will happen. Biblical hope is the assurance that what we are waiting on will happen. Listen, one of my greatest joys in life has been being a coach to my girls in softball. And let me just tell you, I wasn't a good coach. I was a great coach, right? I was a great coach, right? I made sure my girls told me that every single time. I'm a great coach, aren't I, girls, right? And I was like, I loved coaching. And in coaching, I always had this one phrase that I would overuse all the time, especially when they were like a little 8U, super cute, and like 10U, and even to 12 you i would look at them and say to the girls see the ball right you can't hit what you can't see because they're like Whoa, right like oh my gosh i just said it 15 times right see the ball Ooh, come all the way down right super frustrated they would never see and they just strike all the time i had one listen i had one little team total digression here one little team the cubs man we got out there and we had Four girls who could play, rest of them horrible, 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 right? And I literally pray. I think I asked people to pray with me at Vintage. Just pray that every single girl on this team will get a hit by the time the season's over, right? Literally, this little girl named Amara, we get to the very, very last game, last game of the season. I'm like in intercession, man. I'm like praying in tongues. I'm like, I'm going after it, man. Like, God, you've got to help little Amari, right? Just like put the ball to the bat. And I went in that day, and I looked at her and said, Amari, I want you to know, looking around, like I shouldn't say it, but I've been praying for 
for you, girl, right? I've been interceding my half of you for a hit today. And I'm like praying. She's like, okay, Coach Steve, right? Sure enough, man, like the last at bat, the last inning, she gets up and closes her eyes. And I'm praying, boom, she hit the ball into the outfield. I start weeping. Say, there is a God, right? It's a beautiful moment, right? But there's just this peace, right? I wasn't a good coach. I was a great coach. I wasn't a great coach. I just tried really hard, and I wanted to see the ball. I wanted to see it. Listen, I feel like so many failure stories in Scripture in the period of waiting revolve around people or a person taking their eyes off of Jesus, right? Taking their eyes off of Jesus, the Israelites in the desert complaining and grumbling, losing sight again and again of the ongoing miracles of God. Poor little Peter is looking at, he's looking at Jesus walking on water, right? And then he like the waves come, and he looks at the waves, and he begins to sink, and Jesus captures him, right? Or old David, man, David, he's just looking at God, and all of a sudden he walks out one day and sees Bathsheba, and his eyes go whoop, right? And he fails. There's these, again, multitude of moments, again and again, of people who are here, focused, right, intentional, and then getting distracted from life and failing and falling because they took their eyes off of Jesus. They took their eyes off of God. So in waiting, we must always return to Jesus. We must always see him. Why? Because Jesus is hope. Literally, he is hope. Romans 5 says this, not on the screen, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character leads to hope. Hope isn't a thing. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. He is the essence and the source. Just as Jesus is love, so is Jesus hope. And so in our perseverance between intention, listen, perseverance is effort that we put in to get to our final destination, right? In this place of waiting with our effort and energy, I'm persevering. The persevering builds out my character, and then character leads me to Jesus. Jesus is whom I see, and when I see him, I have hope. And so when we talk about this, I look at you in this intentional time and say, see Jesus, Keep your eyes on Jesus. Like, I know it's like super simple and it's like, but that's going to be something deeper. No, see Jesus, focus on Jesus. He is hope. If we want our eyes to be awakened to hope, it's because we see him. Listen, at the end of 20 verses, the lamenter speaking that everything is horrible. He finally looks up to God. He finally looks up from everything and says, in verse 21 to 23 on the screen, yet in the middle of horribleness, it's not a real word, I call this to mind. I remember, I look up, and I have hope because of the Lord's great love for me. I am not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because of the Lord's great love, they're not consumed. The Lord's compassion, he remembers, never fails. His love, his compassion, they are anew and they're alive every morning. He is always faithful. And so every day in my waiting, I'm looking to him because he is hope and hope never fails. Listen, it's the heart of verse 25 again on the screen. It says, the Lord is good. Listen, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. But if you take your eyes off of him, you will lose hope and you will sink third. Waiting requires conviction of our inheritance. 
requires, con- requires conviction of our inheritance. Listen, I remember doing concrete work for the first time in my life, possibly the last time I can't remember, right, on a mission trip to, to Costa Rica back in college, right? And I never forget, it was, a, it was a big group of people. It was super fun. But I got stuck in the hole where they were doing the footers for this church that we were building. And listen, it is hot. It is humid, and all I'm doing all day long is having concrete poured and splattered. Blah, 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 and it's like popping up on me everywhere, right? And I'm like, love Jesus. This is great, right? And you're sitting there in the moment, but every single day at 3 or 4 o'clock, we would stop. And we would go down what they call the local watering hole. Local watering hole, there's a swimming hole that had a rope swing in it, and we would stay for hours, Right? And we would take the workers with us. And so literally, I'd be sitting there like doing, you can do this. The watering hole's coming. The watering hole's coming. This is great. Love Jesus. I was a team leader, right? You're doing great. Oh, my gosh. I hate this. But I'm going to the watering hole, right? And here's the point. I'm working and I'm waiting because I know what's coming afterward is worth it. That's the point. I know what's coming I know what's happening in verse 24. The lamenter makes a statement we could never overlook. We should sit in it. We should meditate on what this verse says. It says this, verse 21, 24. I say to myself, I say to myself, things on the screen there, Josh. There we go. Thank you. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Look at that again, the verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Because the Lord is my portion, because the Lord is what I inherit, his nearness to me, the fruit of his spirit, intimacy, whatever it is I'm going after, what I will receive at the end is powerful, therefore I am happy to wait. We have to live with the conviction that Jesus is worth the wait. How beautiful does he seem to you? Is how, how powerful is the language of God being your inheritance, of Jesus being your portion, Jesus and all of his glory and all of his nearness and all of his radiance? How real does that seem to you? Waiting requires a conviction that the fruition is worth it. And some of us have to wrestle through. I'm not sure if I am there. And I would encourage you then to ask God to bring you to that place. The last thing, and I'm going to read just a prayer and a poem. It says this, or excuse me, the, the point is waiting requires God's strength. Waiting requires God's strength. So I get into the waiting, and I'll just come to the very beginning to say this. God, I'm not going to be able to make it. I know how poor I am at waiting for my sandwich at Chick-fil-A, let alone waiting for fruition to come possibly 25 years later. So, God, I recognize how terrible I am in my own strength. I'm going I'm to do well for a second. This is me flapping. I'm going to do okay. I'm going to fly. And all of a sudden, I don't have the strength to keep on going. So, Jesus, I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your ability. I cannot do it without you. Look at this very, very familiar verse. Randall alluded to it and read it earlier. Isaiah forty thirty one. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. So they that wait upon the Lord, right? Now look at it and go like looking to the Lord, focusing on him, because we're going to see this with the eagles here in a second, right? There's an intention of waiting upon the Lord, focused on the strength of Jesus, just like 
eagles, right, who mounts upon wings with strength. What do I mean by that? So when Isaiah is writing here, he is looking at an eagle in comparison to you. And the idea is that an eagle in its own strength can get off the ground, right, and fly for a moment, but they are not strong enough just to continually flap. They can't do this, right? There comes a moment where if there is no wind to fill their wings, they'll just come back to the ground. That's what you see with an eagle. They will flap. And they will flap, and they will flap four to five, six, maybe seven, ten times. And then all of a sudden, what do they do? They do this with the expectation then of catching the wind that then causes them to rise to a high level and to be able to soar in all of their beauty. That's why a lot of times you find eagles next to high places and hills and mountains because the wind automatically creates an updraft. And all they got to do is just jump off and just do this and begin to fly. And what the writer is saying here is that we are no different as human beings. We have only such limited ability in our own strength to go and to wait and to wait well and from intention to fruition. But if we keep on our own strength without asking, Holy Spirit, come and blow into me the breath of life so that I can fly with you, Jesus, because I cannot make it to fruition without your strength, right? The idea is he's leading us to a point to recognize in our waiting we have to recognize our dependence on god human beings don't like being dependent on anything or anyone we view it as weakness and isaiah says for the eagle to soar with the wind to be able to get beneath it it is dependent on the wind and we should see that as a strength therefore in your life in the season of waiting it's good and right to say god i can't only you can i am fully and completely dependent on your spirit breathing into me and giving me strength to get me from intention to fruition god i need you and so we are looking all the time at our own lives to see how well are we doing in this season of being intentional of living dependent on god's strength because waiting from intention to fruition demands it i want to end just by reading this prayer from this jesuit priest <clears throat> kind of a prayer slash poem called Patient Trust. You can follow along on the screen. It's going to be four different slides. And so here we go. You can put it start for me. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new, yet It is the law of progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability. And that may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you 
and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. His heartbeat is saying in that last thing, it's like there's the anxiety that you're used to having control, but you don't, and that causes instability because it means you have to flap and then trust as you do this, the wind of God's Spirit will catch you in your waiting and strengthen you in your journey. We've got our worship, I want to invite our worship team to come as we end this morning. And again, I want you to be honest about where you are with intention, but I also just want you to be honest about where you are in your waiting. I want you to be honest about your attention. I want you to be honest, and this kind of is so hard, Jesus. It really is so hard to to be intentional, to to take this state, this journey from intention to to fruition, right? I just want you to be honest uh, in those places of, God, it requires hope. It's a confidence. I know you're going to move, but, Lord, I pray that you would birth hope in me. And it requires a conviction. God, I pray that you would show me the inheritance that we have in Jesus. And, God, I'm asking as I do this effort, Lord, and then I spread my wings, I'm asking that you would fill me with your strength. To the nature of our humanity, we talked about last week as we wrestle with our flesh. And listen, there are going to be moments. There are going to be moments when you flap and flap and flap and you get frustrated and you do something stupid. All right? <clears throat> Welcome to being human, right? But the nature of grace and forgiveness is that as I turn, I repent, I say, God, forgive me. And I turn back. He says, Now, let's continue on with this intention of your journey. Now, continue to recognize it's my strength. You've learned from this. It's hope you have to see me. And you say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, I've tried. Help my trying. God, to surrender to you. Whatever it looks like in the language for you, God, I need help. So you respond as the Lord leads. We're going to have ministry teams available this morning. Ministry teams, go ahead and come forward. It's a little awkward. I'm still talking. I don't want people to see you. So go ahead and come to the side. See, ministry teams, I just want to pray for you for anything going on in your life. I prayer, God, just help me. Just pray that God will continue to awaken me to his inheritance. Continue to help me to be honest. Whatever it may be. I'm going to pray for you. This one healing this morning. Breakthrough. You want salvation. You're just asking God for something specific this morning. I would love to pray for you. Altars available every Sunday just to come here and kneel before the Lord and surrender yourselves. We talk about every morning Sunday morning we have offering baskets here. This is us saying, Jesus money has no control over me. I want to worship you. God, with the money that you've given by giving it back to you we have communion available every Sunday. These are both works of grace here, right? Recognizing the body of broken blood poured out for you. And so Jesus I, to be honest with you, if I can use this language, God I want to honor your body broken and blood, blood poured out more than I honor myself. And God, I want to die to self. And that's what the cross is all about. Modeling to me that being your disciple means I take up my cross, I die to self, and I follow you. And I can't follow you unless I see you. So God, help.